Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the Leadership Strategist. Tonight's guest, Senior Vice President and Community Affairs Officer of Simmons Bank, Clayton Evans. Hey, what you drink? Oh, this is going to be a conversation that could actually make you money, right? So you could actually end up more financially well off after this conversation than you are right now. Because the, the guy I've got now is just a wealth of knowledge and uh, he is just uh, full of wisdom. He understands how money works. He understands what you've been told and what you may not have been told. Plus, he's a good Kappa man. So, I mean, it's hard to go wrong. So with that, I want to welcome Clayton Evans. Brother Evans, welcome to the Whiskey Jazz and Leadership Show, man. Welcome to the room. Come on in, man. How you doing? Thank you, my good brothers. It's my pleasure to be with you this evening. Been looking forward to this. Ah, oh, man, me too. Me too. You, I, I've got so many questions, man. We we've met a couple of times, and we and each time we've met, we've had such deep and enriching conversations. I could not wait to share this with my listeners. But you know, my my first question, and and some say it's it's right up there with life or death and the economy of the world weighing in the balance. So my first question is, so what you drinking? <laughs> so what you drinking? Well, good brother, I uh, actually opened a bottle that I've been uh, wanting to open since June. Uh, so when I when I got this bottle, but I said that I would wait until the uh, Christmas season. Um, but real quickly, just prior to that, I was in Jackson, Mississippi uh, for um, Jackson, Jackson State homecoming game. And I had to go in a, a store. You know, what you got? You know, you got an allocated uh, bottles and the uh, clerk said, well, I have a, a Eagle Rare. I said, yeah, that's a, never, never heard of it. Price was reasonable. I said, "Give me a bottle," and uh, that's that's one of my favorites. Now, can't get it. Did have uh, one ship bottle brought to me over the Christmas holiday, so I have that stash. But uh, in the glass tonight is uh, Ankenaris uh, uh, Master Blend, uh, which is a pretty good drink. Ah, man, see, now I knew, I knew you would come correct. I knew you would come correct. Because, uh, you know, that's just that's just that's the level that you have to be at 
in order to actually be in the Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity, you have to know a little bit about a lot, right? So, um, you know, I, I, I figured you may come with some Uncle Nearest because every conversation we've had uh, has been around how incredible that brand is. And so I decided to go with some Uncle Nearest. I, you know, I've got some some master blend, uh, but I, I'm going to hold out, man. I, I'm still hoping to have someone from the Uncle Nearest organization, whether it's Victoria Butler, who's the master blender, uh, or Sherry Moore or Fawn Weaver. I'm going to have somebody. So I'm not going to open that bottle. I got a bot. I got two bottles that I'm not going to open until I get someone from the Uncle Nearest organization here on Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership. But I'm going to go with the first bottle from Uncle Nearest that I tasted uh, after hearing all the buzz, after hearing the story. Uh, you know, I went out to the store and said, well, you know, just I need to have this in my collection, right? You know, I don't know if it's any good or not, but just I need to have this bottle in my collection. And so I, I went out and got a bottle of 1856 and I cracked it open and oh my gosh, was this amazing. And that was my introduction to uh, actually getting 1856, 1820. 1884, the master blend, but I'm going to go back to where it all started for me, and I'm, that's what I'm going to drink tonight. So I'm like, let me go ahead and open this up. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah I, I, uh, I have the 1820 that I'm, that I'm saving, much like you're saving the master blend. I haven't cracked 1820 yet, so I'm, I'm saving that for um, you know, that, that next special occasion, I guess. And uh, I've heard nothing but but wonderful things about it. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it's on the shelf waiting, and uh, I'll eventually, eventually I'll get to it. Well, the 1820 is the truth, man, because I, I when I first heard that it was out and all the all the roar about it, uh, I I drove up to Illinois, and I, I picked up as as many bottles as I could get and and, and that I could afford because it was it was they were pretty proud of it. And I hadn't tasted it before, so I grabbed two. I grabbed two or three bottles, and I started tasting it. And one taste turned into two, and two tastes turned into three. And before you know it, all I've got is an inch left in the in the only bottle I got. So I, I'm 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 holding that one. But yeah, but that master blend, um, you can only get that when you go to the distillery. And so I went to the distillery. On my way uh, from taking my my daughter off to college down at Spelman College in Atlanta, I stopped by, went to the distillery, had a great time, and uh, met some of the good folks down there, and and brought back uh, a bottle of it, and just ah, it's it's, it's amazing. But I, I'm not gonna crack it open until I can get someone from their organization on the phone. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy this uh, 1856. And I would just love for you to share uh, a little bit about your background, uh, all the things that you've done, uh, and just this foundation for understanding how money works, because that's that was the conversation we had uh, about a week ago. And I, I just really want to bring that into the conversation. But let's start with just sharing a little bit about who you are and, and, and where you've been. Gladly, gladly. So, uh, so I'm. Uh... Born and raised 
in the South. So I'm a Southern boy. I was born and raised in uh, Elizabeth City, North Carolina, which is, uh, for those who may not know, is uh, a stone's throw away from the Atlantic Ocean, uh, the Outer Banks. So just inland from the Outer Banks and, and just below uh, the uh, Tidewater, Virginia area, Norfolk Camps, Newport News, and, and that area. So um, uh, born and raised there, did my undergrad work at Elizabeth City State University. Uh, from Elizabeth City State University, I moved to Maryland and um, did uh, graduate work and finished up at the uh, University of Maryland uh, School of Public Affairs. At that time, I was with the uh, Department of Housing and Community Development for the state of Maryland they, as the uh, deputy director of uh, special loans. Spent um, about six years there, and I was fortunate to uh, be around when there was a push by Congress to uh, have Freddie Mac and, and Fannie Mae to um, uh, make a stronger commitment to financing of what was called at the time affordable loans. So uh, I was I was fortunate to uh, uh, land a spot with, with Freddie Mac and when when they were actually developing and starting a business unit. So um, yeah, I had the opportunity for some uh, considerable travel around the country, and I often say to 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 others, and you may be somewhat familiar with this uh, situation as a part of the uh, well, Freddie and, and, and Fannie were, were known as duopoly. Freddie and Fannie did, and what well, still is says the case, uh, still is the case, although they under, remain under a, uh, a conservator now. They um, established the, the, the rules for the mortgage market and everybody else follows. And I would expect that uh, you having spent the time with uh, Coca-Cola, I believe, a, a leader, probably the premier, perhaps the premier uh, company uh, entity in, in that industry. Uh, it, was, it was different setting the standard and having others follow what uh, you were doing as a leader in, in an industry. So um, yeah, that, that provided me with considerable experience as far as furthering my housing finance and, and financial services uh, uh, experience and background. Wow. I mean, and again, I mean, that's just an experience that I, I don't know that I will ever meet another two people that can talk about having that level of experience in something that really is the foundation of of how people accumulate wealth. You know, you know, one of the first sources, one of the usually one of the largest sources of family wealth happens to be in home ownership. And until you get that opportunity to establish home ownership, uh, you're you're really just you're really just chasing the wheel. You're you're not really accumulating anything. You, you may feel good, 
running running as hard as you are, but you're not accumulating any wealth. So just thank you so much for uh, all that you have done in order to make that a reality for so many. You know, w- one of the things that really caught my attention in the last conversation that we had was was just really about that that area of wealth building and how it seems so far out of reach for so many but yet it's not if you do some if you do some fundamental things if you do some fundamental things the right way and understand how money works it's it's not as hard as people make it out to be but you do have to know the rules so talk a little bit about some of the things that you've learned about this idea of wealth creation, wealth building that many people may know, but others might not about what does it take and and what are some habits that might even run counter to this idea of creating wealth that we don't think about? Glad to go there, but let me push that back a bit before I go there because we uh, there there's all kinds of uh, information studies, uh, surveys, research that that supports the fact that you know black wealth is light years behind um, the uh, wealth that you see in white Caucasian families. Um, also, um, you know, black wealth is more likely to start or begin, but th- this is not something that, that very many people know, but I'll share it here. Actually, a, uh, when I was born, my father was a sharecropper, and uh, he stopped sharecropping uh, when I was six years old. And the way he managed to do that was um, he uh, was able to get a union job. And you know, with that, with the need to move out of the, uh, the house that, that uh, we were living in at, at the time as uh, the sharecroppers, the father bought a house, um, bought his first house. That's a clear line of um, in, in, in my life where I can clearly say, you know, that's when my life changed. When a um, father became, my mother and father became um, homeowners. You know, from that point forward, that home provided credit that um, was not available before. Uh, because there was there was um, income or capacity, and you know from that that credit, uh, my mother and father were able to build that that history to show that they were responsible consumers, and we know you know what comes with that. And the third piece of this is is uh, you know the home that we then had was collateral, you know, for, for the new car and, and other expenses, the furniture and those kinds of things that, that was not necessarily available to us 
into my my parents as as sharecroppers. So, you know that that's 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 a personal story that um, is consistent with you know what we see today, in that uh, the home is, is no question is is the largest investment that that black families you know, make and most folks don't truly understand how that home begins the begins to build the generational wealth that is needed for you know not just you know buying goods and services but for education and enabling a black family to borrow on that collateral in order to send their sons and daughters to um, some private school or or college in order to mitigate that that deficit that that exists as far as the ability to to um, finance your education and uh, your advanced education and is to give your son and daughter uh, your kids you know that start that you didn't have so that you know when uh, you know they they could possibly start at a level higher than than you you know when when you were their age and just starting out so one of, one of, one of my joys is and I got to experience this first and, and 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 most often because I was in this area, being a part of an effort, an initiative, a project whereby you were present and you could see um, a black family getting their first set of, of keys to the house. Mm. It's, it's such a warm feeling. I, I, I can't imagine the personal intersection with your professional responsibilities that that must create, you know, because, you know, I've had the luxury of doing a lot of things professionally and, and, and I've had the luxury of doing a lot of things personally, but when those two things interact and they cross, it's indescribable. You, You almost have to be there. You almost have to, uh, be in those shoes in order to appreciate, to your point, the joy that you get from feeling like you're doing good in your work, <laughs> having a personal impact uh, at the same time. You know, one of the things I would love to get into, because I know that you are uh, also a big fan of jazz, and hence the name of the podcast, Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership. Uh, that makes you such the perfect guest to have on this uh, podcast. You know, I, I've shared almost every episode that I like all three literally. So I am a literal fan of whiskey. I'm a literal fan of jazz. And I can't have very many conversations where leadership is not, at least in my head. You know, it, it may, you know, I'm getting better about not bringing it into the actual conversation, but it, you know, I'm always thinking about but the way that these three things fit together for me, and I want, want to get your, in, your uh, input on how this works for you. But for me, the metaphor, whiskey is about uh, enjoying what you enjoy because you enjoy it. 
with people who like it with you, regardless of whether or not other folks like it. So you could probably put a number of different things in that first category. But for me, it's whiskey. Jazz is about uh, the metaphor of getting from where you are to where you need to be on time, although there's no, there's no real script. You know, people aren't going to tell you exactly what to do, usually because no one really knows what you have to do. They just know that you need to get to this other place on time and hopefully in key. <laughs> and then leadership for me is this metaphor of uh, nothing happens until somebody does something. You know, someone needs to get this ball rolling. We can sit back and pontificate all we want about what needs to happen someday. But until someone steps up and makes something happen, that's all we're going to be doing is sitting back and, and pontificating. And you can go to any African-American barbershop and you can find masters at sitting back and pontificating. But you, you, you know nothing's really ever going to happen because there's no leadership there. So for me, that's how those three things fit together in my head. How does, how does that metaphor connection work for you? between whiskey, jazz, leadership, either literally or metaphorically? Yeah, as far as that metaphor is concerned, let me um, add one additional element to that and something that I have to step out of the house to do. Uh-oh. But that's to, that's to have a good uh, good cigar you know, with, the, with the whiskey and, 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 and the jazz and... and uh, the cigar, and if you're with, uh, in, in the uh, surrounding of good good friends, then the pontification it comes automatically. You know, it's gonna <laughs> it's it's gonna go in one direction. Uh, you know, something's gonna come up with, whereby uh, uh, it, it just may lead to some strong conversation you know, between the folks that that are. Uh, that are present, but I, I like all kinds of music. Jazz is certainly one of them. Didn't get into jazz um, early on, but you know, while a uh, while living in Maryland, happened to get to know a, a good capital brother, um, real well, uh, who's passed on. His name was Joe Finley, who happened to. Um, she lived in uh, Martinsville, Virginia, and uh, he was a band director. The funny story is, the first time I went to visit him in, in Martinsville, he uh, took me to a museum, you know, he was showing me the sites, took me to a museum, walk in the museum, and I look, and he's in the museum, a... a um, life-size figure, you know, in his, uh, in his band uniform. <laughs> and he loved uh, bebop. He loved bebop and was always um, uh, just kind of rattling off the bebop. And, and he, loved, he loved Miles. Mm. And it's probably one of my, a part of the early introduction to Miles. I remember... I was in, in Cleveland with Freddie Mac at the time, and I uh, was handed a, a pair of tickets and a, uh, and a limo 
to Miles' concert. And I remember, remember it so well because that was the only time I saw Miles in person. And Miles played the concert was back to the audience as you know he became known for and of course i was a miles fan at that time and, and i larger miles fan after but uh joe finley introduced me to um bebop and you know i uh you know couldn't you know, i just love listening to miles at the time it's the kind of music that, for me, you know, I get into it, and then I'll, I'll I'll be in it. You know, I'll be in that for a while before I come out of it. Mm-hmm. But while I'm in it, you know, I'm in it, and you know, listening to to all this all of Miles stuff. Yeah, I, I am. I I am. You know, famously a fan of Miles Davis, and. And just longstanding for me, very similar uh, story in that uh, I was not into jazz initially. Uh, coming up, I thought that was old folks stuff. Now I've become the people that uh, I used to talk about. <laughs> but I happened to go over a buddy's house uh, when I was uh, living in Connecticut and we would play basketball every weekend. And I was over his house waiting for him to get dressed. And he had Miles Davis playing on playing in the background. And I had never heard anything like that before. It was just hypnotizing. It was mesmerizing. And I had never heard anything like that before. And so when he finally came out, uh, you know, he told me who it was. And I was like, oh my God. And and uh I think he was playing kind of blue uh, at the time, I believe. And again, I just couldn't get it out of my head. And so the next weekend I came back and I was like, hey, look, you gotta, you gotta put on some more of that, that kind of blue. And he's like, well, I'm not gonna play any more kind of blue for you. I will play some Miles Davis, but I'm not kind of blue. And I think at that point he put on Tutu, totally different feel, totally different sound, but you could tell because the, 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 the muted horn was still there and the feel was there. But boy, uh, I now understand that that was the influence of Marcus Miller that was driving that whole Tutu album. And I was just really captivated and became a fan of Miles Davis at that point. It took me two weeks to become a fan and I went out and bought everything I could find. And, um, you know, that's been my thing. And then I started getting into a lot of his philosophy, a lot of his quotes and a lot of his 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 spiritual approach to things and that became <laughs> that made me even more of a fan uh, but I, i'm gonna admit that i have uh recently had some experiences with lee morgan that i had to take a pause because i felt like i was cheating on miles davis because lee morgan totally different player totally different sound but oh my gosh just with such fire and we've had so many guests on here, Eddie Becton, Dr. Russ Robinson, who are just dedicated to Lee Morgan. And so I, I'm just, I'm happy to hear it. I'm happy to talk with another Miles Davis fan to bring me back to the, bring me back to the Miles Davis camp. Yeah, yeah. So, and like I said, um, as far as jazz is concerned, I, you know, I like it all. You know, another favorite of mine is Earl Clute. 
uh, you know, that 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 progressive uh, that pro- progressive jazz and and um, you know Stanley Clark and you know I'll, I'll put George Duke in the category as well. Yeah, you can't say Stanley Clark without saying George Duke. They kind of go together. <laughs> <laughs> so so I like it all, and um, that's just one of the genres that that you know I, I enjoy listening to. You know, I listen to hip hop, and you know. Been, been, I've been into uh, Whitney Houston, so um, you know, love music. The, um, so um, you know, we talked about the whiskey. You know, talked a little about jazz leadership. I can't say that I hunt for good books to read on leadership. You know, I'm, I'm I guess I'm largely an article reader. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.